Good evening. It's wonderful to see all of you here tonight. Well, it's time for the technology spotlight, but uh, Dr. John isn't here, but he sent a note. Sorry I couldn't make it tonight, but I sent a video. I am taking the week off for Valentine's Day. <laughs> Until next time, XOXOXO. Well, I don't know where this video was sent from, but Hawaii or something, but here's Dr. John with the technology spotlight. What if we could get more out of rain than just getting all wet? Well, some researchers at City University of Hong Kong have a new approach to harvesting electricity from raindrops falling. In fact, they can get 140 volts from one drop falling just six inches. That's enough to turn on 100 LEDs. Take a look at this. You can see how every time a drop falls, 100 LEDs turn on. Pretty amazing stuff, and it's orders of magnitude more effective and efficient than other approaches to try and do the same thing. The electricity that they're harvesting is basically what we would usually call static electricity. Remember how if you rub your feet on the ground on a dry day and you build up a charge and you touch someone? Ouch, right? You know, or you rub a balloon against your hair and it builds up a charge strong enough that you can put the balloon on the wall. Well, that charge is actually an electrical charge. And that's about what they're harvesting here. When the raindrops hit their special electrode, it builds up that charge. And then they have a way of harvesting that. Let's take a closer look at how this works. You can see how when the drop hits their surface, it's got a Teflon layer on top and then their special electrode under that. And then, as the charge builds up from the water rubbing against their surface, the water actually touches an aluminum electrode out over the top of the Teflon. And as soon as it touches the aluminum, it completes the circuit, and that charge that's been building up is harvested as electricity right then. So you can kind of see how this works. Right as the water touches it, then that charge is collected. Pretty neat stuff. They even made a special contraption that can collect the water and make the water droplets fall at just the right rate on their special surface to generate as much electricity as possible. It's pretty cute, isn't it? Uh, this isn't as effective for certain cases of hydroelectric power. Right now, most of our hydroelectric power comes from big dams and reservoirs. Remember how the water goes through a special tunnel under the reservoir and then through a big electric generator and makes enough electricity to power cities. Well, this system is actually more efficient with small amounts of water, not so much with a huge volume. In fact, the density that they get is about 50 watts per meter squared. That's about a third as dense as you would get with, say, a solar panel in the sunlight. But hey, this works when it's raining, right? <laughs> so uh, it's a different application. So let's think about how you might use this. Well, maybe they could put it on umbrellas. So you can walk in the rain and charge your phone at the same time, right? It'd be pretty awesome. Or maybe another idea the researchers had was to put it inside of a water bottle. So as the water moves around, perhaps it would generate electricity. So then you could be charging things, your electronic devices, while you're exercising, and then every once in a while stop and charge yourself, right? Now that would be an energy drink, wouldn't it? Pretty amazing stuff. 
Really, there are a lot of neat applications for things like this, and I'm sure they're going to come up with even more. Well, that's all the tech we have the time for. I'm glad he sent that over. All right, it's time for Breakthroughs in Science with Tobias. All right, well, good evening. Now, first, I do have to clear one thing, and I know I sound a little hoarse, okay? There's two options. I could stretch my voice and try to sound a little deeper or whisper the whole time. But when it sounds like it's a secret for that long, it's awkward. So, <clears throat> okay, I just want you to know so that if all of a sudden in the middle I all of a sudden go, I'm not turning into a cat, okay? Just a horse, okay? Well, I'm really excited tonight because we're going to talk about flight. And flight is something that is really amazing. It's always amazing to see an airplane take off and fly and defy gravity. Now, after World War II, most of the airplanes, you know, we kind of knew the speeds they could fly at and the height, um, but that was the question. Can we go higher? Can we go faster? Well, some of the planes and some of the pilots had reported that when they would get up to faster speeds, faster than what they were used to, and usually this would happen when they would like come into a dive, they would start picking up speed, they started to notice something, and that is the plane would start to shake. And as they got faster, the plane would shake more and more. And they called it compressibility. And basically, as they got closer to what the speed of sound is, they would hit into more of this compressibility and it would make the plane start to shake. <clears throat> now, this was very dangerous. In fact, some airplanes were not able to get out of that and it destroyed the airplane. It would crush the airplane, would break it, they would lose control, and they wouldn't be able to get out of this speed and this control that was taking over the airplane. Now, when we think about the speed of sound, you know, if, if I start shouting and I run towards the direction I'm shouting, Somebody who I'm running towards will hear it, obviously, even though I'm way much further away. If you see a truck coming, you can hear it coming, and it's coming towards you. Well, as you get closer to the speed of sound, those sound waves that you're putting out, you're actually starting to get closer to those sound waves. And if you look at this uh, graphic, you can see an airplane standing still or sitting still. Okay, it's putting out waves, the sound waves. But as it starts moving faster in one direction, the sound waves start to build up more in front of the airplane, and they start to compress. And as we go even faster, it gets even more dense, and you get a major buildup of these waves. It's like a wall building up in front of the airplane. And it became known as a barrier. It's basically, that's the barrier. The barrier is the speed of sound, and that's it. We can't go past the barrier of the speed of sound. If we try to, terrible things happen, and it kind of became known as this, this unknown, you know, what's beyond the barrier. There's even fictional stories about you pass the barrier, you lose 50 years of your age, or uh, you start to, you know, go back in time further or you die. Um, a lot of people just decided that's the natural law. You can't go faster than the speed of sound. Well, several countries, including the United States, Britain, uh, started to look at how can we get an airplane to go that fast? How can we go faster than sound? And one of the big design breakthroughs was um, in Britain, they were thinking about how could we shape, we need to shape the airplane to be able to move through those waves somehow fast enough and keep control and not break apart. Well, they were thinking about 
have we done anything that's broken the sound barrier? And they realized the one thing that man has made is a bullet. And bullets had been proven already to be faster than the speed of sound. As you can see here, this is showing a bullet. And you can see the shape of it. It's a 50 caliber. And they decided to go with this design. They designed their airplane similar to the shape of that bullet. And this design also got picked up by the American people that were working on this project. So a couple different things they were working on, but one of the groups that was working on it in Europe decided to make their wings in like a swallow shape. So instead of straight out, they were pointing further back. And they actually were getting pretty close to being ready to test. Now, all of these planes were not using propellers. It was clear that you couldn't get fast enough with propellers. They had started to use jet engines and use jets that allowed them to get much faster. Well, the swallow wing um, plane that they had in Europe had a jet propulsion system. So they were ready to test. They had a famous pilot who wanted to test it. And he took it up. He took off. And it was amazing how fast it was. They, they were amazed at how fast this plane could go and then it was time to test it. So he took it very high and then started a dive. And as he came down and started to go into his you know, increased speed, he's getting faster and faster, he actually got up to over 80% of the speed of sound and he started to have that compressibility happen. It started to shake, he started to lose control. Um, they say that the shaking can get so bad that you can actually lose consciousness in about 10 seconds if it, it gets intense enough. Well, the wings broke off of the plane, and it lost control, and it was a terrible accident. And it was a stark reminder to everyone, this is very dangerous, not just a waste of money, but obviously lives being risked. Very, very dangerous. And some people said, see, you can't do this. Well, at the same time, the American group was working on a plane, and their plane had wings that were straight out. But something more important about the wings, not necessarily that they weren't like this, but studies had shown that the wind or the air going around the wing, <clears throat> when you start getting super fast, it's completely different. It's not, it follows the edge of the wing. It is like an explosion that hits the wing when the wings are thicker, like a lot of the planes were. So they made the wings much more thin. And this allowed them to maintain a lot more control and diminish the compressibility that was happening on the plane. Now, I want to show you a picture of the, the X-1, which is the airplane. Now, this is a black and white picture, but they did get color ones, and I need to show you the color one, because I was like, man, a white silver plane. No, it's orange. Oh. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but they were getting ready to do some test flights, and of course, this had jet rocket boosters, in, as some of us would term it, um, on the back to make this plane book at incredible speeds. Now, this is Chuck Yeager, and he was the pilot that was going to fly this plane. Now, they didn't want to waste the fuel in taking off, so they actually picked up this plane with the B-29 bomber, took it up to about 25,000 feet to save fuel. It tells you the kind of fuel this plane burns, and then let it drop from there, and then he'd take off. So they were ready to do a real test. So they went up, and they dropped it. He fires the rockets. He starts going forward. He's picking up speed, picking up speed. Takes it up to 40,000 feet and he's starting to get faster, faster. He gets into the 90s, 90% of the speed of sound. And he gets up to 94, and he starts to feel that shaking that's so famous with this problem. And as it gets worse and worse, 
he starts to try to get some control and he notices that he cannot steer, he cannot move the plane. He's lost all control. If he pulls back, nothing happens. It, whatever this is has taken complete control of the plane. So he kills the fuel to the rockets. The rockets kill out. He glides down, lands barely, and tells the engineers, okay, we have a problem. I cannot steer. So they go back and look at it. And one of the engineers had an idea, and that is on the tail. Now, so you've got the airplane, and then you've got the tail, and then you've got that piece that lays flat. Well, on most airplanes, the piece that lays flat has a little piece at the back, and it can move, and that can help keep the plane horizontal and keep it level. Well, that wasn't doing much when you start getting to the speed of sound. And so what they did was they changed it, so not a little flap that moves, but the whole tail they were going to allow to be able to move and pivot to be able to steer and hopefully give him control. So they got ready, they made the changes to the plane. It was time, it was in October of 1947, and he did it again. They took him up, they dropped him, and he fired up and took off, went up to 40,000 feet. Now there was a crew on the ground obviously watching, and he was going so fast they lost sight of him. And they waited, and then there was a terrible sound. It sounded like an explosion. And it sounded like the plane and all that dangerous fuel had just exploded. And quite a few of them were devastated right then because that can't mean anything good. Well, what they had heard was the first sonic boom. And it was the sound as Chuck Yeager broke through the sound barrier. Now, from his perspective, he said that all of a sudden, <clears throat> it became still. Like, all the shaking started to go away. It was like a serene moment. He had broken through. It, it was magical on the other side, um, but everything changed because he made it through. And so that day, we broke through the sound barrier, and of course, we would go to, they got to like 1.6, 1.06 Mach, so just over the sound barrier, and then from there, of course, we have airplanes that can go much faster now. But pretty amazing being able to do that, something that was considered impossible. Now, I have a short video. This is a little bit loud, but this is a video of a jet coming toward us and going past and starting to break through that barrier as it goes. So watch. Let's see. Right. Yeah, so <clears throat> you can see it's going. It's quiet. And then after it passes us, the sound barrier comes. So pretty incredible stuff. So remember, in your, in your struggles, for breakthroughs of science and technology. Just remember that the bigger the barrier, the bigger the boom. <laughs> All right. And now, introducing Dr. Roger Billings. Sad to report that Dr. Peget was not able to make it again tonight. I'm here I this think time. I'm here. I really am. Well, look, she showed <laughs> up. <laughs> hey, come on in. Sit down. Gosh, nice to see you again. Yeah, it's good to be here. How was your vacation? It was good. That's it was awesome. Really good. Did you hear about the speed of sound? I did. I liked that really short clip. 
What's wrong? I was, I was wanting to say that it again. That looks like you going to lunch. <laughs> now that's me breaking through those things in my life. I think that's why the speed limits on the freeways are always slower than the speed of sound. For you to do that. But uh, man, that's exciting to to hear about the speed of sound. Can you imagine how interesting it would be to get in that airplane, realizing that you're going to go into a, a world that we don't understand. They said that you might get 50 years older. Well, actually, I tried it, and it doesn't do that. It actually makes you 50 years older, so I'm actually pretty young. <laughs> You're did, amazing. I did the science fair just a little while ago, and, and then I went through the sound barrier, and It'd be I, amazing I go came out that mature. So you can teach all of us. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can Inspire tell you about us. it. So um, there is a an interesting story about the sound barrier, but before I can tell you, I have to make sure you understand the science behind it. Tobias, you know, he kind of hints around it. But you know me, I'll just tell you how it is. I mean, wouldn't it be interesting if we could really understand why planes have a hard time going that speed? And he explained it pretty well. Some of you probably got it, and you're the real strange, smart people. But us normal guys, we have to kind of think this through a little bit. So let's just imagine that you have a uh, Peugeot. Can we use you for our experiment? Okay. Peugeot, only she's young. She hasn't been through the speed bar uh, sound barrier yet. And so she's riding a tricycle. And she's doing a science fair project. And her science fair project is to study the sound barrier, okay? So she's on her, her tricycle and she's pedaling just about as fast as she can. And wh while she's pedaling down the sidewalk, she's yelling, hey. Now, just think, when you yell, hey, she hears it right away. But Jared, he's clear back there. He doesn't hear it until sound travels all the way back where he is. Have you noticed when you see a thunderstorm coming in and you watch it and you see a flash, a bolt of lightning come out of the thunderstorm and then the real smart guys, they start timing with their watch. 1,001. Why do they do that, Mark? To see how far away it is. To see how far away it is. See, they see with their watch. <laughs> right? How can you use a watch to find out how far away a thunderstorm is? By now, some of you can't hear him because his microphone is not only not turned on, he doesn't, he doesn't get one. Okay, so I'm going to repeat it. He says, by seeing how long it takes the sound to arrive, when the lightning flashes, the light of the lightning comes to us at the speed of light. And in little earthly terms, the speed of light is essentially instantaneous, Right? So when it flashes, we see it. But the sound comes to us at the speed of sound. The slow, crawling along speed of sound, which is about, about 700 miles an hour. Compared to light, that's pretty slow. So if the lightning is 700 miles away and you see the flash, you could wait, and it would take 
one hour for you to hear it. Of course, if it was that far away, you wouldn't hear it, right? <laughs> but if it's seven seconds away, you know how far, you calculate how far light or sound would travel in seven seconds, and you know how far away it is. And so that's kind of a neat thing, isn't it? But it makes a point about Peugeot's tricycle, because she's yelling, hello! And 700 miles an hour, that hello goes to Jared. <laughs> and, and then he, he's too shy to answer. But <laughs> he could answer if he had the courage. All right? Does that make sense? Now, now let's see what that means. So it's going out at 700 miles an hour. But what if she could pedal her trike at 800 miles an hour? <laughs> That'd be a sight to see. <laughs> well, just think about this for a minute. She said, hello, and then she shoots up there 800 miles an hour. She gets out in front of the sound wave, and then she listens, hello. <laughs> Does that make sense? She could do that, couldn't she? Now, it's, it's some tricycle. <laughs> I, I, I thought should, it was me. No, we're not going I should, there. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I, do you want to hear the story about the tricycle? <laughs> well, this isn't actually about Peugeot. Might be, but it's we're gonna we're gonna pretend it isn't about her. But she had this little tricycle, and she was not on the sidewalk. She's going down the middle of the highway, and there was a policeman there on a motorcycle with his radar, trying to make sure everybody's going the speed limit. And he'd shoot his little radar gun and get the speed. And if they're speeding, he was going to catch them. Well, all of a sudden, this blur came. <laughs> went by so fast, breaking the speed limit. He went running after this little flash, pulled her over, and it was Peugeot on her tricycle. A <laughs> little flash? I like and that. And <laughs> he said, my goodness, do you realize you were breaking the speed barrier? He says, no, I don't have a speedometer on my tricycle. <laughs> he says, you were going faster than any car I've ever seen. How do you do it? And she says, well, I have this little tiny motor underneath the seat of my tricycle. He said, no. <laughs> she says, yeah, I do. He said, I want to see it. So she lifted up the seat, and there was this little neat miniature stainless steel motor down there. And he said, where did you get this? And she said, I got it off my dad's electric lung. Now, you know what an electric lung is? That's a machine that you put people in that are real sick so they can breathe. <laughs> It, it keeps them breathing. What? We can't, do, we can't talk about that. We can't talk this. about that? Okay, well. Her dad doesn't really have an electric button. Now can we talk about it? <laughs> She's always worried about the emotional social, right? All the people in electric lung. But anyway, so she said, where did you get the motor? And she said, off my dad's electric lung. And the policeman got real worried. He said, what did your dad say? And she said, <gasps> That's not, we're talking about sound. <laughs> so we, we all can understand that if she could tricycle at 800 miles an hour, maybe with a little stainless motor, she could get ahead of her own voice. So you say hello, and then she could go listen. When you're at the Grand Canyon, and you yell out, hello, your sound goes down and hits the cliff, and reflects back, and it says back to you, hello. 
and you're carrying on a conversation with a mountain. <laughs> but you're actually giving time for that sound to go and come back. Does that all make sense? Well, let's suppose that her motor wasn't quite so powerful. It was just a little bit smaller, and she could only go 700 miles an hour. Yeah. And so she says, hello, and then she takes off trying to get ahead of that sound, but she can't. She can't go fast enough to get ahead, so she's going the same speed as the sound. So her, her hello's right here, and she's right here with it. Hello. And then they go together. Well, she can't get ahead, so she can't hear the hello, so she does what you'd expect Dr. Page to do. She yells, another, hello. And that second hello is right there where the first hello's going, and they're going right together. Am I making sense? She still can't hear it because she can't get ahead. So she says, hello, 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 hello. And all those hellos are all right together. And they're getting louder and louder and louder. And that's what creates the sound barrier. Only it's not Peugeot yelling hello. It's the noise of the jet engine. It's making all that noise and it's charging out in front of the airplane when it's sitting on the runway, when it's going slower than sound, the sound keeps going away. But when you catch up to the speed of the sound, the sound goes away at the same speed you go away. So right where you are, you can hear the sound from a second ago, but you're making more sound, so the sound is getting louder and louder and louder and louder. And remember, sound is just air vibrating. So that air starts vibrating so hard that actually when a plane goes through the sound barrier, it's like smashing the tip of the plane, smashing it hard. In fact, the early planes that did it just got crushed. And so they made them stronger so they wouldn't crush. And then they actually measured, and the pressure wave started the tip of the plane and smashed it all the way across the plane and off the back because all that sound was just building up and building up. I think that's neat. Don't you think yes. that's neat? So you're keeping up with sound, and they couldn't punch through. And then when they did punch through, no more vibration, smooth as a kitten. <laughs> we can't say that. Smooth as glass. Okay. I might fill in all the rest of the is, blanks is there, what we can't is say. Is it wrong to say kitten, smooth as a kitten? No. Why is it wrong? Okay, we're going to take a time out here <laughs> until we can find out if we can say smooth as a kitten. You know, last time you weren't here and I was asking the students, so what are some of the things you guys do? Ask them to write and tell me. Do you watch it? Yeah, I saw yeah. it. That was video chat. Can you share with us some of the things they told us they do? We have a lot of um, students who are on swim teams. In the winter? In the winter. In the winter. It's yeah. awesome. Okay. And dance. A lot of them are dancers. I know about some. Mm -hmm. Some of our dancers are very famous. They are. It's good. Music. A lot of them are really into music. Different instruments. Piano. You're not looking at your notes. You're supposed to be reading I this. play football for the AAU elite team. And it's Do really you? hard to try. <laughs> One of and our students does, me. too. One of Did our you know they accepted me? And it's really hard to get into that. Well, come on, read some more. <laughs> My talents are a musician and film editing. Good. I enjoy performing on stage and making people laugh. I know you do too. That, that wasn't mine. <laughs> My talent is drawing. Okay. 
I play violin, piano, saxophone, and guitar. Wow. A whole band. I like to build and design. It's fun. We have a whole list. A lot of wonderful, talented people. So can we say smooth as a kitten? A baby kitten. Okay. <laughs> After I guess I you was break a through the baby. sound barrier, <laughs> it's as smooth as a baby kitten. <laughs> Maybe you want to get rid of me the next <laughs> few times. Yeah, you could take a couple weeks off if you wanted Bye. to. <laughs> if you wanted to. So anyway, so we've got to get back in these airplanes for a minute. I love airplanes, Because this is really pretty exciting. So they break <laughs> through the sound barrier, and all of a sudden it's smooth and quiet. And yet, on the ground, they hear this enormous bang, which is called a sonic boom. And it's, it's pretty loud. And you say, well, so what? Why do they call it boom instead of bang? They're baby boomers. <laughs> <laughs> You should know that. <laughs> anyway, you need to go through that time barrier. I want to. I think that would be so cool. <laughs> when uh, they started flying the Concorde, which was a whole airline that could go faster than the speed of sound, and the United States announced they were going to develop the SST, the supersonic transport. Now, we did have military and experimental planes that go faster than sound, but now they're going to make an airline for just normal people and their kittens. <laughs> anyway, so we announced we were going to build the, the supersonic transport, the SST, and so the Europeans joined together, France and England, and they decided they would develop their supersonic transport, and they called it the Concorde. Well, somewhere into ours, we got a big giant budget cut and our SST got canceled, which is too bad. They're actually talking about reinstating it now, <laughs> which would be neat because we've learned a lot about how to make an airline like that. But the Europeans kept going, the Concorde got into production, and uh, when they take off and they reach the speed of sound, they have, there it is in fact, look at it, a big boom. Can you see that funny nose? Now you shouldn't, can we say funny nose? <laughs> yes, we're not talking okay, about the person. Well, well, let's show them the funny nose again. It is that's funny. the it funny is. nose, and yeah. if you look at it, that's what the nose looks like when it's going to land and take off. And right up at the top of the nose are the windows where the pilots look out. And to be able to go faster than the speed of sound, they had to make a very thin wing like Tobias was telling us, but when they were going to land, they had to slow way down. And to slow down slow enough to land or slow enough to take off, they had to raise the nose way up high to get enough lift to stay in the air. And they raised the nose up so high they couldn't see the runway. Oh. And so some really clever engineer got the idea, well, why don't we just have the nose go down? And so literally, when they're on approach, the nose goes like that, and then they can see the runway, even at that very steep angle of attack. They do. Now, when they're flying to altitude, they're flat, and so they just pull the nose up so it doesn't cause drag. Isn't that interesting? It is. It's a pretty neat thing. Let's see the Concorde one more time. So when they take off, they take off with the nose down, they get up to altitude, they pick up speed, they pull the nose up, 
and then they speed up until they get to the speed of sound and they start keeping up with all the noise their engines are making. That pressure builds up. They push through it with more power from the engines and then there is that big bang. And many, many cities in the United States said, not here. That noise is annoying. So they wouldn't let it break the sound barrier over them. And they actually had to fly slow until they got out over the ocean. And then they could break the sound barrier. It's loud on the ground, isn't it? Do you remember our uh, uh, Institute of Science and Technology professor here, uh, Dr. Robert Bass? Uh-huh. Dr. Bass was one of my physics professors when I was a university student, and then he came to work for us. But he did a major project for uh, one of the aerospace companies to figure out how to make the sonic boom not boom, to make Hmm. it quiet. Did he figure it out? Yes. He was a mathematician, and he did all these calculations, and he figured out how to do it but no one has ever figured out how to build an experiment to make it work. So it would be kind of neat, wouldn't it? That would be neat. All right, well, there's more I want to talk about this airplane because there's some really interesting things. You know, uh, to me, it's just exciting to think that you could make an airplane that could push through this phantom zone, and they lost control. The planes would, would just crumple under the pressure it really seemed like it was an impossible barrier that could not be broken through, and yet people just kept trying and trying. And uh, when they finally succeeded, it was a major feat. And I've, I've told the students before about my thrill when I got to ride in the Concorde. And I took off in the Concorde over at Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris, and I flew to Washington, D.C. And I took off one morning, late morning, and it it was just such a thrill. One thing about the Concorde compared to other airlines, you know, you go in and there's the cabin, and jumbo jets are enormous, you can play racquetball. In the Concorde, it was really small diameter. And I'm not that tall, but it was almost gonna mess up my hair. It was so small, (laughs) and, and taller people actually had to bend over because at those speeds, the diameter created a lot of drag, so they had to make it smaller. It was interesting. But when you sit there in the cabin, and they're, they're flying, flying, in the front of the cabin, there's a great big indicator with a big needle, and it says Mach 1. You, you know what Mach 1 is, don't you? Mm-hmm. You know speed what Mach 2 sound, is? Yeah. The speed of sound. And it's a speedometer of how fast the plane was going. And as you start flying, the needle would go up, getting closer to the speed of sound, to Mach 1. Mach 1 is the speed of sound, right? And you watch it, and you watch it, and then it would hit Mach 1. And we were making a sonic boom right there, but in the airplane, I couldn't hear it. It couldn't keep up. We were going too fast. And then it went past Mach 1. And after you get past 1, it can keep going and going and going, and it gets way up there. And this plane was going so fast that we were going faster than the world was turning. Now remember, if you were a 
very strong bird. Can we say strong bird? <laughs> if you were a very strong bird flapping your wings like up the above the earth, up high, 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 so the earth could turn underneath you, and you stayed right there and you could see the earth turning, then you'd find out that where Europe is a few hours later is where New York is because that's the way the earth turns, okay? And when we took off in that plane, we were going from Paris to New York. So we were going the direction the earth was turning. We were actually going faster than the earth was turning. And that meant that when we landed, it was earlier than we took off. Of course, there was a time zone change. So over in Paris, it was later. It was only a few hours later. And in New York, I got off the plane and went to a meeting that was the same time as a meeting I had with a bank in Paris that same day, See, which was really neat. <laughs> it sounds great, but it's, you know, it's a time zone thing. But just think, to be able to go faster than the Earth's turning is kind of cool. And compared to something like the space station, we were going really slow. The space station really cruises. What do they do? They orbit the Earth in 90 minutes? Is that right? And now they're talking about a Mach 14 airplanes. So they have a way now of making an engine that can only be fueled by hydrogen because it's really a good hydrogen <laughs> molecule. But it can go 14 times the speed of sound. And you know, that means you get in the plane and you could go from Kansas City to New York in under a half hour. Pretty neat, isn't it? Just think. So, is so, it true in the Concord? Well, I don't know if we can say true. Verdaggi. <laughs> Verdaggi. Um, does it um, lengthen, or is that just the blackbird? Does the lengthen? Does the plane lengthen? Yeah. You're talking about when it's flying at the speed of sound. Yeah. Yeah. The the blackbird, remember, is that plane built by the Skunk Works division of Lockheed that was used to be able to collect information. Spy plane, we can't say spy. Yes, say a spy. <laughs> but it's a spy plane, and it was so fast that if somebody would get mad that you were spying and shoot a missile at you, they could outrun the missile. Yeah. They fly faster than missile, very, very, very high. And it was made out of titanium. Mm -hmm. But, you're going through air. Up, up at that altitude, the air is very thin. But you're going through the air so fast that the resistance of the air going over the skin of the plane made it so hot that the skin got hot and the plane actually gets longer because the heat, it expands. And yes, the Concorde does too. So that means it gets small in their diameter. Is that true? I'm sure that's true. This is my tricycle mind. Now, now you're confusing it maybe with uh, Einstein. Remember Einstein says, as we approach the speed of light, which is a whole lot faster, mm -hmm. and we don't have any idea how to build an airplane that can go anywhere near the speed of light, but according to his theory, mm -hmm. which we have experimental data now to, to back up so we actually think it's accurate, but as we approach the speed of light, time goes slower and slower. And as soon as you go the speed of light, time stops. 
Do you remember in Star Trek they say, you know, we're gonna we're gonna travel at warp mm -hmm. warp speed? And they talk about these these wormholes through space, so you right here and then you're there. Well, that's because when you get up to the speed of light, time stops. And so if only one second passes, it could have been 100,000 years. So you can jump clear across space instantly. But one interesting phenomenon of that theory is that as you get close to the speed of light, the airplane starts to elongate, and so do you. You start to get a long nose and a big back head. <laughs> Everything stretches out in space-time. I did now, not know that. Yeah, the only time I ever did that <laughs> <laughs> was when I went with ride with Einstein. <laughs> you know I did. You went to his house? I went to Einstein's house. Yeah, that'd be fun. If anybody wants my autograph, I went I to Einstein's <laughs> house in Princeton, New Jersey. Yeah, I went back there and I knew that that's where he lived. And he had passed away a few years ago. But I just wanted to see where he lived. So I looked up the address and I went and drove over to the house, my rental car, and it was just a little house. And this is the part of the story I'm not too proud of. But I got out of the car, and I went up and knocked on the door. I just wanted to see his house, you know. And this lovely lady came to the door. May I help you? And I said, yes. Uh, is this the house where Einstein lived? And she said, yes. And it was his girl. And that was really neat to meet her. She was still living there, and it was really fun. But anyway, actually, I never got to go on a ride with Einstein because we did not know how to build a spaceship that go the speed of light. But I don't think that when things expand because they get hot, that they shrink in size, in diameter. Do they? Is that what you were saying? Mm -hmm. That's what I was saying. Don't think so. That would be like stretching a balloon mm -hmm. it shrinks. But this is just, okay? <laughs> so we can't say that. <laughs> but one thing we can say is uh, something I really wanted to mention about the scientific method. Uh, Sometimes when you don't understand what's going on, like when they're trying to break through the speed of sound, no one really quite knew what was going on. And they're trying all these different things, learning from every experiment. Many of the experiments were catastrophic. People got hurt, even lost their lives trying to uh, break through the sound barrier. But they kept trying, and they learned from every failure. And eventually they were able to do it, and now we have uh, aircraft that go faster than the speed barrier all the time. And I think that's really kind of neat. But uh, I want to tell them the story about when I was a... This is a story, Matthew. This isn't serious, okay? If it was a serious <laughs> story, I'd tell you. This one's not serious, okay? It's just a story. But anyway, when I was a genius inventor, story. <laughs> okay. Is it a true story? And uh, they were inventing a super fast airplane to break the sound barrier. They built the airplane, and this is just a story, but it's a good one. And so coming in, they're testing out, and you know airplanes pick up speed as they dive. So they dive to see how fast they get it going. Tobias was telling us about that. And they're diving, 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 and then the ground was coming up fast, so they had to pull up so they wouldn't hit the ground. And when they'd pull up, it put a lot of stress on the wings. And sometimes, in my story, the wings would break off. And then the plane was toast. toast. <laughs> yeah. 
we can't say that, but <laughs> and so <Wow. laughs> they tried making the wings stronger, they put braces, they put better still, they made them thicker, they made them longer, they made them shorter, but they always broke off. And the strange thing was they always broke at exactly the same place. And they couldn't figure out why that was. Why would they always break right there? You could literally go out and draw a line on the wing right where it would break, because it would always break the same place. And so since I was a genius inventor in my story, this is kind of like a dream, you know. <laughs> but I was a genius inventor, so they came and asked me, uh, Dr. Genius, how can we keep these wings from breaking off? And I says, well, it's, it's simple. You know where they're going to break, don't you? Yes, they always break the same place. They will go draw a line there, and they drew a line. And I says, now get a drill and drill a line of holes along that line. Every one each, drill a hole. And they said, well, if we do that, it'll just make it weaker. It'll break easier. And I said, no, no, you just drill it right on that line. And if you drill those holes, then it won't break. They laughed at me. This is just a story. It's a laughing story. <laughs> and so they went out, and they want to be polite. You know, I am a genius inventor. So they drilled the holes right where they knew it was going to break. They found a pilot that, you know, was just a, one of those test dummies, <laughs> crash dummies, to keep this humane. And so they started their dive, and they got to the bottom of the dive, and they pulled the nose up, and the wings did not break. And they tried it again and again. They just wouldn't break. They were fixed. Fixed wings. Fixed wings. <laughs> Cheap humor. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> anyway, they did come to me and they says, you know, we're, we're so happy that it works, but we were bothered because we don't understand why drilling holes and making it weaker would make it not break. Can you please teach us the science that you know? Because no one else seems to know. And I said, well, it's actually a science I learned at Boy Scout Camp. And you did? Yeah. A scout camp, we call it the toilet paper principle. It never tears on the dotted line. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Is that good? Yeah. <laughs> Fixed wing story. Okay. Well, we're, used, we're burning up our time here. Do you know that Chuck Yeager is 97 years old and lives in California? Chuck Yeager is I one like of my him. real, real heroes. One of your students. He's a really, really that. neat guy. And, yeah. Uh, I've never met him, but uh, when they were flying these early planes, the, the X-1, the one that is orange that Tobias tried to make us think was gray, <laughs> that plane... Mm flew before I was born. So I missed it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Darn it. Next time I'm coming earlier. <laughs> but uh, the X2, they kept in incrementing the number, and they got better, and they broke the sound barrier. They got faster and faster. And by the time I was old enough to know a little bit about what was going on and to read <clears> about <throat> it, they were flying the X15. And I remember so well when it broke the world speed record, and it was, like, amazing. Of course, speed records now, when you start going out into space, you know, you get really fast because there's no air resistance, and it's really amazing. But Chuck Yeager is one of the great uh, heroes of science and aviation, and he did know Bill Lear. So. I didn't know that. Yeah. You don't remember Bill? 
Bill Lear, as, as some of you know, was my mentor, mm -hmm. and he was a guy that was one of the real pioneers in aviation. Uh, he made the Learjet, which was a jet that uh, really moved aviation forward, especially private aviation, because it was a jet not for the military, not for big airlines, it was a little jet, and it was for private uh, people like celebrities. Uh, Frank Sinatra had one. A lot of people had Learjets. And I had the privilege of having my first ride in a Learjet with Mr. Lear flying the plane. And my second ride and my third and fourth and fifth, and about my first 50 rides with Bill Lear. And it was really fun to ride in his his little sports car, and, and that's what he <laughs> called it, and it really was. He loved the way that it had so much power because he could take off and he could point just straight up, there and there is. was so much power, it would just go. Now, there's Mr. Lear, and there's the Learjet. If you notice, on the tip of the wing, there is a, a fuel tank. That's where a lot of the jet fuel goes, and that's to give it a little more range. Mm. The rest of the jet fuel is inside the wing itself. But inside the wing, you couldn't store enough fuel to go very far because jet engines gobble up a lot of, a lot of fuel. So they put the tip tanks on it. And with the tip tanks, uh, they could go twice as far. Uh, we recent, well, you recently bought a Learjet, didn't you? I sure did. I was so excited. She says, guess what? <laughs> what? I just bought you a Learjet. <laughs> got really You know, excited. it was hard to get that thing. Yeah. Then I found out that uh, they didn't have any engines. It's still sexy bleep airplane. We can't say sexy. <laughs> 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 or they will bleep us. <laughs> we, I'm we, dyslexic. We, I have that in my we mind. Have, we have grandparents <laughs> listening tonight. Sorry. <laughs> but anyway, our new Learjet is still over waiting for some good weather so we can finish fixing it up and we're going to put it right out here on the freeway we and are. we're, we're <laughs> going to have it, it, it she didn't get the engines so we're going to have to get another one for flying but they'll just sit there as a monument or a tribute to bill Lear and his wonderful contribution to aviation it's a lot bigger than i thought it was the it's not very tall, though, it's not is very, it? No, it's, it's, it's not like, tall. It's smaller than the Concorde. It's kind of neat, but it's just plain big. So you've got two seats in front for the mm -hmm. pilots, and then in the one that uh, Bill Lear was flying when I was there, there were six seats in the back, and there was one seat that kind of folded up behind the pilot looking backwards. It was called the jump seat, and that's where I sat. So I could cock my head around through the little door and look up in the cockpit and watch him fly. What do they call so, the jump seat? I think it's because if, if they need to get you out, you have to jump. I think so, too. <laughs> they put you right there, didn't they? I don't know why. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's for the jumpers. I don't know. But it was the best seat in the house, except it was turned the wrong direction. I bet it felt really unique going up there. Well, you can think that if you're in a, in a chair yeah. and the jet takes off and it's going straight up, so you've got gravity pulling you down, but the engines are so powerful, it's accelerating. So it's pushing you in your chair like a race car, only more. You can imagine all that force pushing you back into your chair, making you weigh you know, two or three times as heavy as you are in the chair, 
that'd be really neat. Well, now what if you were turned around the other way <laughs> so the seat was there and it's pushing you forward? You like it? It's not as neat, it's like you're falling. And that would have been fun to see. <laughs> what a Unfortunately, all the films of that were destroyed. Yeah. I love airplanes, though. But the idea of, of taking something that, you know, military was doing and saying, we need this. We need this for real people in real mm -hmm. life. Now, military is real, but I'm just saying civilian the people. private civilian people. Private people. And then figuring out how to do it and having the determination and perseverance to solve all those problems yeah. was so neat. Uh, I remember uh, on one of our trips, uh, I was climbing up in the plane, and Bill Lair said, did you see this door? Well, I can see it right now. He said, no, but I invented this door. Bill Lair invented the door to a Learjet. He also invented eight-track stereo and a lot of other things, but he invented the door. And he said, they told me this door could not be made. Hmm. So... I knew a story was coming, and it was. He said that they designed, the engineers designed a door, and they go in, they unlatch it, and the door just goes up like a clamshell. And it's a huge door, and then they pull out this big, there it is, oh, I want to see that door. They pull out a big ladder so you can climb up in there. Now look in this Learjet, Bill Lear's idea was to split the door in half because the original big one was so heavy that it, it, it cut out 500 miles of range for the weight. And remember, this whole airplane flies so high that it's, it's kind of like a vacuum. There's not enough air to breathe. So they have to inflate it like a balloon with pressure to give you enough air to breathe, and that means that if, if it's not real sturdy, the door will just pop out. So they have to make this really, really strong door, and this great big door, and then the ladder added all the weight. So Bill Lear had this ingenious idea. He'd have half the door pop up so you can get in. The other half door, he would have popped down and he put the steps in it. So we didn't have to have steps. Let's look at it again. Can you see the steps there in the bottom? So he pointed at that door and he says, do you see that door? I invented that. And this plane can fly 500 miles further because of that, that crazy door. Now I think that's pretty neat. It is. And it does show how when you're doing your science fair, you knew this was coming, your science <laughs> fair projects, that you do run into a lot of challenges. Mm -hmm. uh, experiments teach you what isn't right yet, what you haven't got figured out. That's what's so neat about them. Experiments just, uh, they tell you what's really going on in nature and in the world. And so when you're doing your science fair project, be sure and allow time to do your experiment and then do it over and then do it over and do it over, changing it every time because that's what it takes to succeed in science. In fact, it happens so often we even gave it a name. We call it research. <laughs> so first we go searching for success. And then when it doesn't work, we come back and we research I never for got success. that before. Research, research, <laughs> I research. never got that. But a true scientist. Mm -hmm and probably a master if you take all of those kids on that list and all the mm -hmm. things they do so well, whether it be swimming or music or dance, 
they don't just go out and do it. They have to go out and learn, and then they have to practice and practice and practice and practice, or research and research and research. Mm -hmm. And then, and only then comes the prize, and only then comes success. So much of what I love about science is that process of trying it and then trying to figure out why it didn't work. Why doesn't toilet paper tear on those dotted lines? I mean, that's why they put them there, so it'll tear. But it always mm -hmm. tears right in the middle. It's crazy. And by the way, after I heard this story, I went home and tried it, <laughs> and I did find out that it does tear on the dotted lines most of the time. Most of the time. Yeah, yeah. so it kind of ruins the story. It's but a good it, story. Times doesn't, it's really yeah. funny. Okay, well, we're running plumb out of time. The, uh, the Midwest, Kansas City's been hit with another really cold storm. We had snow today. Mm -hmm. When we came in here, it was 30 degrees, which yeah. is really burr. And uh, I just want to say to the weatherman and to the weather, spring is coming. Yeah. And it's soon going to get a lot warmer. And uh, I want to congratulate all of you guys that showed up here tonight. Uh, all, we have a few empty chairs, and those are the guys that are home, nice, warm, and toasty. But I appreciate you coming out into the weather to be with us. And it's, uh, it's really interesting to me. I, I love spring. I, lo I love winter. I love, I love all the seasons. But the thing I love about spring, especially in a, a four-climate country like Kansas City where we have real winter, real summer, real fall, real spring, is that everything dies in the forest. Uh, all the plants, the trees, the bushes, they just all die. And I just think, boy, forest is so discouraged because it's been so cold and, and dry for this months. And yet you always know the spring is coming, and when it does, all of those dead plants are going to wake up, and they're going to come back to life. And I, I get so inspired by that because that's how my projects have all been. It seems like they all have periods where we didn't have it figured out, and it dies, and I go home and say, I'm never even going to think about that again. And I don't until morning. <laughs> But it seems like sometimes while we sleep, our minds work on ideas, and we wake up with them, and we keep trying. Success of things that are really important usually comes after searching and researching and researching, practicing, making that effort. And my thought tonight that I'd like to leave with you is all of the effort that you're putting into your schooling it's kind of like training for the Olympics or training to be a great ballerina or training mm -hmm. to be a great musician or training to be a great scientist. Every single formula, every concept that you master and put away in your head is an asset that will unlock some wonderful prize for you at just the right time in your life. So work hard, study hard. Spring is coming, and when it comes... We are having Solace World. That's right. Do you have any Solace World announcements you want to make tonight, Joshua? Right there on that microphone. Go. Would everybody like to hear from Joshua? Yes, we would. Here he comes. <clears throat>
Joshua is the person in charge of a solace world and tell us everything about it. You got one minute. <laughs> well, it's, it's going to be held over Memorial Day weekend. And uh, if you're not able to make it to Kansas City, there will be a lot of ways you can participate and tune in. And we'll have more information on it coming very soon. Thank you. <laughs> Boy, that was wow. a long report. But <laughs> I, I do want to say that he, he gave you the key. I've been hearing from a lot of students that say they're not going to have their Learjet done in time mm -hmm. to get here this year. Yeah. What are they going to do? And the answer is you're going to be here anyway because through the miracle of the Internet and live streaming, you're going to actually be able to be here from wherever you live. Even you guys that tell me you live clear on the opposite side of the earth. No matter which way I go, it takes the same amount of time to get where you're at because you're as far away as you can get. You'll still be able to be part. Now, you may have to get up in the middle of the <laughs> night over there if you want to see it live. But we're going to include as many events as we can that way. And you can enter and win a prize at the science fair virtually. So don't be hesitant at all. You're going to film these things. You're going to put them up. Our judges will look at them. And you'll be sitting there watching when your award is announced. How fun. Right? It's pretty exciting. By the way, notice that a lot of you have got those hydrogen water bottles. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't really offered them to anybody but us so far. So any of you that have got one, if you're having any problems, will you let me know? And if you have any questions, will you let me know? Uh, and if, if you like them or you don't like them, I'm doing research. I like feedback. Uh, I, I really, really hope you're enjoying them. Okay? We'd like to and now turn the time over to Dr. Peje for the last word. <laughs> <laughs> the last word. Um, I'm excited. We can't say excited. I know. And I, <laughs> yeah, I think you don't want to let me talk anymore. <laughs> okay. No, we, we want to hear from her, don't we? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. A lot of your kids really like airplanes. Well, they're your kids, too. They're my kids, too. Yeah. And they like it when they, well, they say Dr. B is really funny when you make fun of Angel. I decided, <laughs> I debated whether or not to read that one, but I'm glad everybody's enjoying she it. She didn't hesitate, did she? <laughs> so, I'd like to wish everybody a wonderful Wednesday night, though. All right. Science, science, science fair. Okay? Thank you and good night. Thank you all for joining us. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Have a great night. <laughs>